Yo! Whoop! <lacht> oh. <lacht> Shit. Oh, mein. Ja. Somehow, since forever, humankind developed an urge to define, classify, categorize, structure, organize, and pattern anything and everything. And that's a beautiful thing, actually. It serves our orientation, understanding, and to a certain degree, our cognitive faculty. This enabled us to create hundreds of different branches of sciences, which we use in all aspects of life to live a modern life. These branches of science provided manuals for almost everything, be that any technological devices and systems like mobile phones, bakery machines, cars, aircrafts, wastewater systems, buildings, etc., blah, 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 blah. And since they have mostly proven its functionality concerning all things, the organizational mind tried to expand the provision of manuals over all non-things too, especially over the human being. The big branch of social science with its representatives, psychology, sociology, etc., is working hard to categorize valid facts about humans in general. And they're doing a great job. For example, if we consider Abraham Maslow's work, or especially the often to him falsely ascribed hierarchy of human needs, this model is actually a manual for people a guide for maintaining well-being, true success, and truly becoming a human being. But it has to be clarified that it is just a rough one. Rough in the sense that that manual contains the main chapters of a book, but not its content or just fractional parts of the content, since becoming a real human being and maintaining well-being is always going to remain a pathless land. In terms of human beings, and especially their well-being, one cannot define something for 100%. All these theories, models, classifications, etc. are simplified representations of reality and therefore they just represent it approximately. Furthermore, they cannot be generalized since it looks completely different from individual to individual. Models just serve as an aid for orientation, so we should not cling to them, no matter how fine a classification becomes. Actually, just mentioning the top two categories of the hierarchy, self-actualization and self-transcendence, should be enough to stop defining, but more about that later. Many cultures throughout history have speculated on the nature of the mind, heart, soul, spirit, brain, etc. For instance, in ancient Egypt, the Advent Smith Papyrus contains an early description of the brain and some speculations on its functions. In China, psychological understanding grew and is still growing from the philosophical works of Lao Tse, who was highlighting insights drawn from introspection and observation. And then, ancient Greek philosophers, from Thales through even to the Roman period, developed an elaborate theory of what they termed the psyche, or psyche, as well as other psychological terms, nos, tumos, logisticon, etc. The most influential, if we may say so, of these are the accounts of Plato, Pythagoras, and of Aristotle. Plato's tripartite theory of the soul, chariot allegory, and concepts such as eros define the subsequent Western philosophy views of the psyche and anticipated modern psychological proposals, such as Freud's id, ego, and superego, and of course, libido. To the point that in 1920, Freud decided to present Plato as the precursor of his own theory as part of a strategy directed to define the scientific and cultural collocation of psychoanalysis. Before we dig into the modern psychological proposals, 
it should also be mentioned that India too had an elaborate theory of the self in its Vedanta philosophical writings. Buddhist philosophies have developed several psychological theories formulating interpretations of the mind and concepts such as aggregates, skandhas, emptiness, sunyata, non-self, anatta, mindfulness and Buddha nature, which are addressed today by a remarkable amount of psychologists. Several Buddhist lineages have developed notions analogs to those of modern Western psychology, such as the unconscious personal development and character improvement. Moreover, Buddhist monk and scholar D.T. Suzuki describes the importance of the individual's inner enlightenment and the self-realization of the mind. So, from an early age of modern humankind, we somehow try to define the human being, the innermost nature and the reason of our actions plus non-actions. It's funny that there is an inseparable link between psychology and philosophy, since our society likes to dissociate these terms strictly. Since I grew up and live in the West, in Austria, let's put our focus a little bit more on the so-called modern psychology, especially on the Viennese school of psychology, including Sigmund Freud, Alfred Adler and Viktor Frankl. Freud claimed that one's personality consists of three aspects, the id, the ego and the superego. The id consists of our instincts, striving to fulfill desires and get satisfaction. The superego is the moral compass constantly working to restrict it. The ego tries to bring order and balance to them both. In contrast, Adler and Frankl believe that man must be understood as a complete whole, a holistic being, not some segmented parts as theorized by Freud. Furthermore, the type of the motivational driving force in each case represents a central difference between the three masterminds. While Freud's psychoanalysis was centered on will to pleasure, so that man is primarily motivated by his sexual drives, and Adler's individual psychology on the will to power, the, pers the pursuit of superiority, Frankl's logotherapy focuses on the now frustrated will to meaning, what definitely resonates with our current world and therefore forms the more valuable motivational force of human existence. Man has instincts, but instincts do not have him. He makes something of his instincts, but the instincts do not make him. That's what Viktor Frankl said. And this is something that makes him pretty special. Freud was perceiving humans as individuals, but his approach of establishing another branch of science concerning humans had a generalizing character. You simply cannot argue from the general to the particular in terms of human beings. But somehow you can in terms of people. Sounds paradoxical, right? Freud's hypothesis that man is primarily controlled and motivated by his primitive instincts is true to a certain extent, namely for the period when man's own awareness, the true common sense and intelligence, is not activated most of the time. But as soon as one gets aware, truly aware, as soon as one starts to have his instincts and to make something of them, man reactivates his will to meaning. Man finally and again becomes a human being. He becomes what he already is, but somehow forgot all earlier in the way. The will to meaning was always there, but got trimmed and misshaped by the classical mass, our society, and the conditioned mind. Thus, as long as this will remains in oblivion, there actually is a manual for people, dictated by their ego, or primitive drives, be that the will to pleasure, superiority, or something else that makes their behavior predictable and victims of definitions. But not for nothing 
It was Viktor Frankl's merit and influence that finally changed the famous hierarchy of human needs and added the term self-transcendence to the top. The initial five needs, physiological, security, belongingness, esteem and self-actualization needs, all these needs serve our ego, our primitive drives, our instincts. And that is not a bad thing at all if we want to maintain our existence. But one should bear in mind that self-transcendence is something that makes us truly live and not just exist. I know that this term sounds kind of hippie-ish, sci-fi, artsy-fartsy, woo-woo, etc. But this is where it all comes together. Genuineness, truth, real love, purity, enlightenment. To express it better with Viktor Frankl's words, if we get people back on track, if we align them towards meaning, they won't find it in themselves, as the self-actualization theorists claim. Maslow, who coined this term, has not accepted it anymore in the last year. He signed my criticism of this theory smoothly, magnanimously, and generously. Self-realization is all well and good, but it can only be obtained via self-transcendence, via service to a matter or love for a person. There is an easy way to convey what I mean by self-transcendence and to show that it is nothing to do with transcendence in the sense of religion. Our eyes are self-transcendent. That is, the ability of my eyes to fulfill its function, to optically perceive the surrounding world, stands and falls with the inability to perceive itself. To the extent that my eye notices something of itself and sees it is sick, the normal eye does not see itself, and it is the same with human being. Self-transcendence means that the human being becomes completely himself and is completely human, precisely to the extent that he overlooks and forgets himself by completely leaving himself behind, in the service of a matter, in the fulfillment of a purpose, or in the devotion to a task or another person, to his partner. Then he becomes completely himself. In other words, build a healthy ego and then lose it. And then a human being becomes a pathless land where no manual is useful. I get it if it's not that easy to understand, because of that I've been preparing another episode on the whole matter of self-transcendence, what the ego actually is, losing the ego, being self, so and 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 and. So whoever is into it, just listen to the next episode. Peace.